Chapter Sixteen of Whither Thou Goest by William Lequeux. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Sixteen. Moreno had declared to Violet Hargrave that he proposed to go to bed early and wait till tomorrow for the news. When he spoke, that had been his original intention but as the evening drew on he began to feel a certain restlessness stirring in him certain things were about to happen or as he hoped to be frustrated he could hardly compose himself to sleep under the unusual circumstances he would go out and form one of the undistinguished crowd that clustered round the palace gates if anything dramatic happened he could not fail to be aware of it the news would spread like wildfire on his arrival he caught sight of a woman closely veiled standing close to him. He recognized her at once. It was evident that Mrs. Hargrave could no more endure to stay indoors than he could. He moved up a few paces and spoke to her in English, practically their native tongue. The same sudden impulse seized both of us, he whispered. Well, it is a very orderly crowd. I don't think we shall be pushed or knocked about. We shall enjoy the sight of the grandees arriving. By the way, it is a pity we were not sent an invitation. Then we could have seen it from the inside. Violet Hargrave whispered back, I simply couldn't stay indoors. My nerves seem on edge tonight. Mine are a bit out of time, too, answered Moreno in a low voice. And while they were waiting, Moreno indulged in several philosophical reflections. A curious and not ill-natured crowd was gathered round the palace, something like the throng that gathers round a wedding. There was no harm in these good-humoured laughing persons, mainly of the lower order. They were not envious of the people who went inside, these men in court costume, these women of another world, daintily attired. They discussed and admired the good looks of the men, the exquisite costumes of the women. If the court chamberlain had suddenly appeared, and in the name of their majesties bade them enter the royal precincts in a spirit of perfect equality with the other guests, they would have been very embarrassed and, save for a few adventurous spirits, have declined the invitation. They would have felt out of place. From what causes arose this antagonism amongst the clever extremists of the proletariat toward the more fortunate ones of the earth? Moreno was puzzled to find a solution. Envy, perhaps, was the contributing cause. And yet the ordinary man who dines at a common eating-house is not always envious of the man who eats a sumptuous luncheon at the Ritz or Carlton. The middle-class, prosperous, professional man does not always gnash his teeth when he thinks of a nobleman, possibly his client, who has a rent-roll of a hundred thousand a year. Moreno was very just. There was a time when he had had to fare very frugally, and he had not complained. Things had improved. When the fancy took him, he would indulge in a good dinner, a bottle of champagne, and an excellent cigar. Was he hurting the toiling millions very much if he occasionally indulged in these luxuries? Were the few fortunate ones of the earth, and after all they were very few, hurting him if they indulged in them every day? Night was slowly settling over the city. Far away from this scene of revel and display, some thousands of humble workers had eaten their frugal suppers and were preparing for bed. If all the money that was to be spent upon this function had been shared between them, would they have been much the richer? 
champagne excellent cigars and good dinners could not be given to every creature on god's earth that was an exorable economic law which no revolutionist could alter he was raised from his reveries by a light touch on his arm who are these two men it was violet hargrave who spoke somehow they look people of importance moreno recognized them at once as they drove slowly through the chief of the secret service the head of the police he was glad that they were on the scene early they might not have quite the perfect methods of the corresponding french organizations but perhaps they would justify themselves before the night was over i don't know them from adam but as you say they certainly look persons of importance especially the fat one always suspicious he wondered if mrs hargrave was trying to draw him herself knowing who they were anyway she had failed he was not to be caught by a leading question like that then presently she nudged him look look the chief yes it was contreras driving in a humble cab his fine lined face showed clear against the waning light wonderful man the brains of sixty the fire and energy of twenty said moreno glibly he spoke with all the enthusiasm of a true son of the revolution mrs hargrave made no comment equipage after equipage rolled up containing fair women and brave men the palace was one blaze of light the crowd grew closer enjoying the spectacle of the arriving guests and it seemed a crowd that was at once good-humoured and appreciative if at times critical moreno turned to his companion i say it's a bit of a shame that you and i are not inside instead of here eh i think contreras might have worked that while he was about it mrs hargrave smiled back she was very attracted by this black-browed young spaniard my dear friend under the new regime we shall all go to court to the court of contreras i suppose something of that sort answered violet letting herself go a little and madame contreras more aristocratic than any queen will smile condescendingly and the pretty daughter will turn up her nose at us the conversation was getting dangerous mrs hargrave must be checked in her impulsive moods which he honestly admitted were very rare ah if i could see dear old contreras in that position i would die happy he exclaimed with a splendid mendacity mrs hargrave stole the quiet glance at him yes he is very wonderful is he not but i can't honestly say i like his womenkind they have no sympathy with his aspirations as they were speaking a very gorgeous carriage rolled up it contained the duchess del pineda and valerie de mon the duke had not accompanied them he had pleaded indisposition but probably prudence had dictated his absence anyway if certain things happened it would be possible for him to plead a successful alibi look look cried violet hargrave a little excitedly for her valerie de mon moreno the kindly-hearted felt a spasm of pity as he gazed upon the face of the handsome fanatical young frenchwoman whom that wily old contreras had subjugated to his evil will poor child he said aloud for the benefit of his companion i can only hope she will not lose her nerve it was a man's job but she would insist upon having it there was a little lull in the procession of carriages and then there drove up one conveying guy rossett and a colleague the ambassador had already arrived with his wife moreno stole a glance at his companion she was heavily veiled but he could see that her face had grown pale that a sad look had come into her eyes 
our admirable young diplomatist whispered the young man well madrid is not a very safe place for him but he is in no danger to-night i take it came back the answer in a whisper as low as his own i should say not for the present we have left him out of our calculations we are flying at higher game he will hardly come within the sphere of valerie's operations his chief may i doubt even that mrs hargrave made no comment presently moreno spoke in the same low whisper you have no great affection for mr rossett i take it no i have not any great affection for mr rossett and yet you were once very good friends mrs hargrave stiffened a little you seem to know a great deal of my private affairs yes we once were very good friends he knew my husband long before i married him i fancy i have told you that moreno was not to be daunted by her aloof attitude he was never wanting an enterprise i should not be surprised if at the present moment you hated him perhaps you are right was the curt answer moreno indulged in a quiet inward chuckle if she had known that isabel clandon was established so close to her lover that through his adroit manipulation of affairs they were meeting every day her hatred must have expressed itself more heartily valerie de mont under the wing of the unsuspecting duchess was now within the palace she had only once before looked upon a scene approaching this and it had been much less brilliant once early in their married life her husband had taken her to one of the president's receptions in paris it was easy in his position to secure the entree for himself and his wife. She remembered that evening well. Never had she felt more humiliated. Half a dozen times old Monsieur Varenne had introduced her to some of his acquaintances. There was a formal bow interchanged, and nothing beyond. One and all they had sheared off. Even in a republic in a democratic country, these purse-proud citizens would have nothing to do with the girl who had come from the music halls. She recalled how, when she reached home that night, she had burst into a fit of wild sobbing, and her kind elderly husband had tried to comfort her. "'Calm thyself, ma chérie. We will not go to these hateful places again. We will lead our own life. Tonight, how different! A court, one of the oldest in Europe, reflecting that atmosphere of pomp and state associated with long-descended royalty. The kindly young king, his British-born queen, chatting graciously with their favored guest men in resplendent uniforms and orders great ladies of the highest spanish nobility what a contrast to the homely reception of the president in those far-off days then she had been escorted by a very wealthy but somewhat shady financier whose influence had not been sufficient to enable her to scale the social heights to which she had aspired to-night she was under the wing of a popular chaperone in whose veins ran the proudest blood of Spain. The Duchess, acting according to instructions, introduced her to everybody she came across. Mademoiselle de Monde, handsome, brilliant, and vivacious, was an immediate success. This aristocratic assemblage, ignorant of her antecedents, only recognizing that she was under the wing of the popular Duchess, took her at a real valuation. Being a woman, she was naturally pleased with her momentary success but she was sensible enough to know to what she owed it if these people who were flattering her now had known of her lowly origin how she had graduated through the circus and the music hall to the possession of wealth they would have turned their backs on her 
as the purse-proud parvenus had done in the democratic salons of the French president. These bitter reflections rather tended to harden than soften her resolution. Tonight she was an avenging angel, bent upon the task of making these insolent people atone for the insults heaped upon the lowly born. Once in her triumphant progress she came near to Contreras, who was standing alone, surveying the brilliant scene with his keen, deep-set eyes. She disengaged herself from the arm of her companion, a handsome young man of some standing in Spanish society. "'Excuse me a moment. I see an old friend to whom I must say a few words.' "'What do you think of it all?' she whispered as she held out her hand. "'What I have always thought of such spectacles as these,' he whispered back. "'These besotted creatures feast and dance and make merry, without a thought of their oppressed and toiling fellow-creatures.' He spoke intensely in the most bitter spirit of his gloomy fanaticism. She could not linger. "'My nerves are in perfect order,' she assured him as she turned away. He smiled at her kindly as she passed on. The amiable and innocent Duchess had performed the duties of chaperone so well, had introduced her to so many people, that it was a long time before Valerie could shake herself free. It was a very crowded assemblage. If she could once break away, she would be free to roam where she pleased. The moment came at last, close upon midnight. She was alone and mistress of her own movements. Her thoughts were no longer distracted by the idle chatter of some companion forced upon her. Slowly she edged her way towards the royal circle. Progress was a little difficult, but at last she stood within a few feet of the king and queen. She stood for a few moments, perhaps, summoning up her courage. Then her hand stole towards her pocket. Before she could reach it, a little cordon was formed around her, a cordon of six men in ordinary evening dress. The hand of one of the men gripped hers and held it in a grasp of iron. "'Come quietly, mademoiselle,' whispered a voice in her ear. "'We have followed you round all the evening. We fancied there was something suspicious about you. We may, of course, be mistaken.' but in these troublous times we have to be very careful. We will take you to a private room and have you searched. Of course, if nothing is found upon you, you will go free, and we will make you handsome amends. Valerie gave a little choking sob. The gypsy's prophecy had come true. Several years of hard life, a few years of good fortune, and then great tribulation. I came here with the Duchess del Pineda, she said in a broken voice, hardly knowing what she was saying. Do you dare to suspect? It was the head of the police who held her wrist in that iron grasp. He spoke in a suave voice. Mademoiselle, we always suspect in our profession. For the Duchess del Pineda, I have the highest respect. Will you consent to come quietly? If we are in the wrong, you have nothing to fear. She turned with them without a word. She had failed miserably. The upholders of law and order had scored signally over the scattered and imperfect organization of the Brotherhood. Between them she walked through the long, brilliantly lit rooms. The chief of police tucked her arm under his, keeping a tight hold on her wrist. The other five men accompanied them. There was nothing in the general attitude to suggest that she was not a very charming woman, being escorted by a bevy of admirers. Contreras was standing by the door as the procession passed out. Agitated as she was, she saw him and flashed at him an agonized glance. He flashed back at her a glance equally eloquent, 
he knew the chief of police by sight, and he understood what had happened. Poor little Valerie had failed. They would take her to some room and search her. In her pocket they would find those cunning little bombs that, once launched, would have sent tyrants and oppressors hurling into space and proclaimed the dawn of the new era. Poor little Valerie! His eyes grew misty. As she had failed, it would have been better if he had left her alone. If ever he felt remorse in his life, he felt it that night. His first impulse was to leave the palace at once, but wiser thoughts prevailed. The chief of police had recognized him, he was sure. If he left immediately, it might give cause for suspicion. Valerie had failed. For the moment, the cause had suffered a setback. But his resolution was still undaunted, his brain still active. Because he had failed today, it did not follow that he would not be successful tomorrow. He sought out the Duchess del Pineda, who was, as usual, surrounded by a group of chattering friends. "'Good evening, Duchess. What has become of our young friend, Mademoiselle de Maud?' "'I really cannot tell you. She broke away from me a long time ago. She has been a tremendous success, I can assure you. I hope she intends to make a long stay in Madrid. She will be most popular.' "'I really cannot tell you. I know nothing of her plans,' answered Contreras in his grave, quiet tone. "'As I told the Duke, I met her in France and England, where she appeared to move in the best circles.' naturally said the innocent duchess nobody would suspect the highly respected contreras of telling a deliberate lie outside the palace the crowd had thinned but moreno and violet hargrave still waited midnight had struck and all was quiet there were no signs that heralded the happening of a tragedy a few belated arrivals passed through to the palace the crowd began to melt away and then there was a little stir a carriage drove up outside the palace doors. Two men and a woman stepped into it. The woman was in evening dress. The carriage passed the two watchers. Mrs. Hargrave peered into the slowly moving vehicle. "'Valerie de she whispered excitedly. "'There is a man sitting beside her, one of those two men I noticed driving in. Don't you remember I said they looked people of importance, and you said you did not know them from Adam? What does it mean?' valerie alone with those men it looks as if the coup had failed replied moreno quietly i should say that valerie has been caught and those two men are members of the police mrs hargrave grew a little hysterical thank god it was not myself she added after a pause i am glad it was not you moreno was about to reply when another carriage drove through the occupant of which was contreras his tall form seemed huddled up. He was evidently in a state of extreme dejection. Moreno tucked Mrs. Hargrave's arm under his own. Come along, evidently the coup has failed. The police have been one too many for us. Valerie de Mont going away with those two men. Poor old Contreras huddled up in that carriage, his attitude expressing that all is lost at any rate for the moment. We have nothing to wait for. We shall hear all about it tomorrow. They walked along arm-in-arm, arm, both occupied with their own thoughts. Mrs. Hargrave broke the long silence. He is a wonderful man. If he is dejected tonight, he will be full of energy and vigor tomorrow. Moreno agreed. Yes, he will think of more coups. I suppose the next one will be the removal of Mr. Rossett. Violet made no answer immediately. 
Then presently she said, "'I fancy he is considered a rather dangerous person from our point of view.' Moreno shrugged his shoulders. "'And yet I fancy his removal would not greatly hasten the new era, do you?' "'He is really a quite insignificant person. If Valerie had brought it off tonight, well and good. But I must confess these minor developments don't interest me greatly. Do they interest you?' "'A little, I think.' answered Mrs. Hargrave in a somewhat faint voice. Moreno looked at her steadfastly. Her nerves were a bit out of order tonight. That long vigil outside the palace had told on them, that waiting for the crash of the bombs which Valerie Demond had carried in her pocket, the bombs which now had been appropriated by the chief of police. He gave her arm a tender pressure. "'I believe at bottom you are really a womanly woman.' The end justifies the means, of course, but some of the means are very bloodthirsty, don't you think? I thought so tonight when I was waiting to hear the crash of those devilish cunning little bombs, the latest invention of science, as our good old Contreras assures us. Moreno pulled himself up. Perhaps he had been a little too frank, but he knew that the photograph letter always gave him the whip-hand of Violet Hargrave. Still, we must not be squeamish. Revolutions are not made with rosewater, and you must break eggs to make omelettes. Absolutely true. Mrs. Hargrave, looking provokingly pretty under her veil, sighed a soft assent to these platitudes. He fancied her arm gave a responsive pressure to his. When he went to bed that night, Moreno was disturbed with remorseful thoughts of Valerie de Monde. If the chief of police had found those bombs in her pocket, it was he who had told that somewhat slow-moving official he would find them there. Then he comforted himself. If he had betrayed Valerie, he had prevented her from hurling to destruction a dozen or more innocent people. His conscience was quite clear. If she had been a very ugly woman instead of a very pretty one, perhaps his conscience might not have been troubled at all. I didn't think much of that chief of police at first, he murmured drowsily as he turned on his pillow. But he seems to have managed it all right. Still, on the whole, I would rather deal with Scotland Yard or the Sûreté in Paris. End of chapter 16. Recording by Tom Weiss, tomsaudiobooks.com.